Welcome to What's the 311, a national talk show about local government. I'm Stephen Volan, along with Jeff McKim and Kelly Kuglich. We like to take questions involving the governments that are closest to where you live. Whether it's explaining the complexity of your town's budget or just directing you to the right department, we provide insights to help you navigate your city hall or county courthouse. I'm the city council member. Jeff is the county council member. Kelly is the lawyer. Hello, everybody. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing very well. We are uh, right in the midst of uh, our county budget hearing, so I'm uh, all full of local government these days. <laughs> how about yourself? I'm doing okay. Uh, we are about to hit take up budgets uh, uh, next week, actually. So, yeah, excited about that. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, and I do not have to worry about passing or voting on any budgets at all. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we tackle a relatively new problem to cities, the advent of rental electric scooters. Today, we'll also talk about plastic grocery bags, how some places are trying to ban them, and how those bans are affecting the autonomy of local government. On each episode, we discuss topics requested by listeners who leave voicemail at 888-TALK-311 or submit requests through our website, What's the 311.us? That's 888-TALK-311 or What's the 311.us. Stay with us. Speaking of listener input, Kelly, before we get into today's topics, I wonder if you wouldn't elaborate about what the show is looking for from listeners. Sure. Well, like you were saying in our first episode, we take our inspiration from the 311 non-emergency call services and similar systems across the country. You two are longtime local legislators. Mm-hmm. All three of us have some experience with local governments and are interested in demystifying them. It's quite common for someone to have a practical question or problem with local governments and not know whom exactly to direct their concern to. Yeah. And this is true no matter where you live. Sticky problems like, why did my city do this? Or why didn't my county do that? Or how can I get this problem fixed? And that's why cities set up 311 phone service. Right. When they do, like we talked uh, last time, they get all kinds of questions. In our first episode, we talked about New York City's 311 right. and learned that people would call to ask about all kinds of things like, Uh, school closings, recycling rules, homeless shelters, uh, park events, uh, pothole repairs. Yeah, sure. Well, those problems all have to be addressed by different offices that don't normally have any interaction with each other. Like uh, our city doesn't have anything to do with the management of our local schools. It's a separate taxing district, a separate school board. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, recycling, I mean, there's a separate taxing district that manages all of it on the other end that, you know, the city doesn't own a landfill or anything. Um, mm-hmm. Homeless shelters, multiple departments deal with the homelessness issue or the issues of homelessness. They, they don't, these are departments that don't normally interact with each other. I guess that's, that's the point. Few citizens have time to learn the entire org chart of their local governments. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to address on this show. So, dear listener, if you don't know whom to call, give us a ring. Let us know your location and your question, and maybe we can look into your local issue for you. 
In an ideal world, we aim to be the click and clack of local government. Uh, for those who remember <laughs> oh, the great call-in NPR program, Car Talk. Oh, God. We can't guarantee that we'll- We can't live up to that standard. We're... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. It's aspirational. We can try. Bring us your local government <laughs> we questions. We can't live up to that. We're not th- we are not that funny. We are not- Oh, God. For local government, we might be a little funny- <laughs> And we can't guarantee that we'll get to everyone who leaves us voicemail, but we're trying to be an extra sort of line of help for all those places that don't have 311 and even for some that do. Fair enough. Thanks, Kelly. Okay. So let's start with our first topic. Okay. I have a letter here and it reads... I want to know what it will take to remove all of the scooters and e-bikes from our sidewalks, yards, and random places. Why is it okay that we live in a city full of dumped metal? Signed, Enough is Enough. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the... just just a few years ago, who would have thought that one of the most controversial uh, uh, issues in local government would be uh, these e-scooters? Um, I will say that that personally, I am actually a user of them. Um, I I'm glad that they. That well, let's explain what they are first. What do you mean by e-scooters? So these are are small ele- electronic scooters in which the a person with an app can just uh, can rent them out by the minute. And when they're done with them, they there's there's a, some sort of checkout procedure on the app that usually involves taking a picture of the scooter where it's left, and then you're charged for the time you leave, and you can essentially leave it wherever, wherever your destination is, and mm-hmm. then you're done. You don't have to return it anywhere. Is that is that a, an okay description of it? That's that's a pretty good description. Yeah, they they <sighs> dropped in our city around five years ago, all of a sudden, and uh, because uh, uh, it's a college, uh, there's a huge college here. Uh, it was clearly targeted to college students, and yeah, they tend to leave them everywhere in the right of way. Uh, they, they 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 don't always stay standing up, and so it's been a point of contention for. A longtime residents who are upset with their being scattered everywhere, and uh, in particular with people who need the sidewalk for accessibility purposes, and the the scooters can tend to block uh, the right of way. We've been trying to find the right way to handle it for for the past several years. In a, in addition, to, with the issue of them being left, um, I think you know there's a perception that the scooter companies that bring them into the community have sort of, you know, they do so with impunity um, and without facing consequences for some of the the accidents and, and the nuisance factor that their the scooter's presence um, provides or in, enables. Yeah, you know, this is this is one of those areas in which a disruptive technology catches local governments flat footed. It's it's just like Uber and Lyft, just like Airbnb. These technologies can be deployed at scale across the country, across the world. 
nearly instantaneously while the regulations move at the usual speed of government and face all the constraints that other regulations face, you know, regulations that are very specific to the nuances of the individual local government, state, and and even the political makeup of the community. Yeah, um, we uh, took steps to uh, require that they be uh, parked in certain places uh, to license the companies um, so that they had to pay a fee that would be commensurate with the cost of the city uh, enforcing whatever laws we had passed about it. Um, and only this year uh, is our city finally taking the steps to more aggressively enforce those scooters, to actually hiring people uh, to conduct enforcement. We've also made the uh, created corrals in the downtown area where the scooter has to park or it won't uh, you won't be allowed to end uh, your ride and I've tried them myself and uh, in fact you you can't just park them anywhere anymore eventually uh, how much do you know about geofencing Jeff um, I, I, I know it pretty well. I understand that uh, it essentially allows you to, to draw a particular polygon and then uh, which you can designate, say, either scooters have to be parked within that polygon or can't be parked within that polygon. And that can then be enforced uh, via the, the app that the, uh, that the scooters use. Well, that may go in part to answering the reader's question, which was specifically, um, what will it take to remove the scooters and e-bikes from our sidewalks, yards, and random places? Uh, Do you feel that the geofencing or the corrals and mandating their use can effectively avoid scooters being just placed randomly? I think it's going to take a lot more enforcement. Yeah, I I think that the combination of human enforcement and geofencing is definitely going to be the primary solution. I think it's already having an effect. It's important to note that um, uh, people who are upset with something, you're going to hear a lot more of them than people who are content with the way everything's going. So um, one way to tell whether a problem is subsiding is how often are you hearing complaints? And there are fewer complaints these days about them, but there's still, uh, you know, what you might call a disruptive uh, technology that uh, rethinks the public space in a particular way. This listener clearly doesn't, um, isn't a big fan of the scooters, but I think that they do provide a mobility solution that is uh, less impactful than automobiles are. Uh, but uh, in addition to just, I mean, the, the, the problem isn't just, are they blocking the right-of-way? The question is also, which right-of-way are they using? Uh, scooters can go 10, 15, 18 miles an hour. And if they ride on sidewalks, then they're risking the, the safety of people who are walking three or four miles an hour. Right. I mean, I will say, um, possibly unlike the uh, the listener, I am a fan of the scooters, but yet I am equally as frustrated um, as anybody with the the fact that they're left out um, on the side, blocking the sidewalk um, as much as they are. And this this problem is certainly not unique to Bloomington. Uh, there certainly have been many other um, 
cities that and towns that have tried to uh, to ban scooters entirely or to restrict them quite a bit. Uh, some like um, West Hollywood, for example, has actually banned scooters. And uh, the city of Paris, France, has also banned scooters, although more out of safety concerns in general rather than concerns about blocking the right-of-way. Right. And, um, I mean, you make a good point, um, both of you, that the scooters are quite useful. They're a step forward in in micromobility and um, urban transportation options. So I feel they're here to stay, but it, it'll be interesting to watch how various uh, cities respond to their presence and uh, tackle the enforcement side of it. I'm also going to just throw this one out there. Uh, I think to some degree, the debate over scooters also serves as sort of a proxy for age or generation. Uh, boomers, and to a lesser degree, Gen Xers are skeptical of the scooters and don't see much uh, or any value, while um, Gen Z in particular uh, finds them quite useful. That's an interesting observation. You know, a, a scooter takes up a lot less space in the right-of-way than a car does. It uh, doesn't require garages to be built to to house it. On the other hand... Um, there's only so much room in the, the I mean, the, unless the cars are, or unless the scooters are parked in corrals that are on the street in parking spaces, like in our city, some of the corrals are actually on the sidewalk. And so at some point, the scooter has to be wheeled onto the sidewalk. Uh, practically speaking, some people are going to ride them onto the sidewalk at the end when they're going to, they're about to park at a corral. So uh, the the line between the pedestrian and the auto and the motorist right of way is not necessarily a hard one. It can be nebulous. And there's also um, a question of like how your city handles traffic uh, that this is also a proxy fight for. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to keep following scooters. The short answer is uh, to the, to the listener's question is, uh, I mean, a city needs to regulate it some, uh, charge the scooter company something for imposing on the right of way at least enough to cover the cost of enforcing uh, and making sure that scooters are being used properly and not taking advantage of the right of way that's devoted to somebody else. And there we have it. If you have a question about your local government, call our voicemail line at one eight 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 talk 311 We'll be back with more of What's the 311 in a minute. Stay with us. What's the 311 is a talk show about local government across America. If you've ever wondered why cities and counties do things the way they do, or you just want help getting a pothole fixed, we want to help. A big part of our show will be answering questions from listeners like you. Submit a request through the mailbag button at our website, What's the 311.us? And we might just take up your question on the show. We're also hoping to talk on the show with mayors, commissioners, and members of city and county councils. If you're a local elected official, we'd love to compare notes with you. Drop us a line through the mailbag button at What's the 311.us. Have a question about your city hall? Let us know at what's the 311.us 
or 1-888-TALK-311, and we might tackle it on the show. We're back with What's the 311? Jeff McKim, along with Kelly Kuglich and Stephen Volan. Plastic grocery bags are really bad for the environment. My city hasn't banned them. Is it going to do so, or, or when are they going to do that? Oh, plastic grocery bags. Mm. All right, so in our city, um, we started making noise about uh, banning groceries from having plastic bags, from offering plastic bags at checkout because they're bad for the environment. They don't biodegrade, and uh, they're a big part of the waste stream. And uh, the state intervened and banned plastic bag bans at the local level. So uh, it was a little frustrating because there was no way we could compel uh, grocers to use something else. Uh, Jeff? So this is absolutely one of my favorite topics, not grocery bags per se, but uh, the whole issue of home rule. Uh, so home rule is the general principle that a local government, usually a city or a county, can pass laws to govern themselves as they see fit, as long as they obey the state and federal constitution. And uh, in its strongest form, the guarantee of home rule is in the state's constitution. And in a more limited form, home rule can also be granted by state law or statute, as it's called. Uh, in the in. In the legal tradition, there's actually uh, the kind of the alternative to home rule is known as Dillon's rule. And that's the legal principle that says that local governments can only ex ex exercise powers that the state expressly grants to them. So you can kind of think of it as home rule means local governments can do what they need to, to as long as it's not expressly forbidden, while Dylan's rule says local governments can only do wh uh, what they want to if it's expressly granted to them by the state. And this is the, the stage on which the uh, issues like local bans on, on plastic grocery bags take place. Hmm. Well, I mean, to respond to uh, the question that uh, Kelly asked from a citizen, um, uh, the former Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis said, the most important political office is that of the private citizen. Uh, citizens can take political action. You, they, if you just hope that something will happen, you know, it's, it's not it's not going to happen. Um, if there's a change that needs to be made, a citizen can initiate it by talking to their local officials. And, you know, elected officials like Jeff and I are not magical creatures, uh, we're human beings. Your city council member probably lives not too far from you, puts out their trash, pays their water bill just like you do. So it's important at least to to say something if you really feel strongly about something that should be changed. But having said that, um, yeah, Jeff, the idea of home rule and Dylan's rule has always intrigued me. Uh, not every state has the same one, but I mean, isn't home rule sort of like a local version of the Tenth Amendment, where any power that the the federal government doesn't uh, expressly keep for itself is left to the states? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a good analogy, um, you know. And, and so we've talked about home rule and and Dylan's rule, but in the real world, 
most states apply some version of both principles in various configurations. So no, no two states handle the, you know, the kind of the parsing out of what local governments are able to do in exactly the same ways. Um, well, it seems very useful to know how any given state uh, approaches the issue of home rule versus Dylan's rule, because in, in my understanding, um, that is crucial to understanding how government is structured in that state. Um, in fact, uh, to be very honest, I'm not 100% sure how it works in my home state of Wisconsin. I believe that we may have aspects of both home rule and Dylan's rule there, if I'm not mistaken. Jeff, do you know more about that? Yeah, well, um, so Wisconsin is, is similar in many ways to Indiana in that it has a limited form of home rule. Um, in the case of Wisconsin, though, there was actually a constitutional amendment in 1924 that guaranteed cities and villages some form of home rule. Hmm. And in particular, uh, shielded municipalities from interference uh, from the state government in specifically local affairs. Mm. But with one notable exception, the courts have always found that state laws that restrict local legislation have been constitutional. Uh, the hmm. exception was actually related to a Milwaukee ordinance that allowed a higher maximum building height than was restricted to in statute. Interesting. Wait, I'm uh, so wait. Uh, I missed that part about Milwaukee. So you're saying that that was constitutional or that wasn't that, constitutional? That was the the so yes. So so the issue with with Wisconsin is that um, the if if a let's see how how can I say this. If a state um, statute is passed that affects local government, it is divided. It, it has to either be categorized as purely local or generic to all of the state or what they call a mixed bag. Like it could affect a, a specific locality more specifically than than everywhere else. Uh, but in general, courts have, have found that, uh, have, have upheld state laws that restrict, uh, local legislation as long as they, they apply sufficiently to all localities within the, within the state. And, and like I mentioned, there was, there was one ex uh, exception in which a Milwaukee ordinance that allows a higher maximum building height than was, than, than the state, um, had, uh, restricted buildings to was actually found to be constitutional. And that so that explains the nice tall buildings in Milwaukee's downtown. But uh, okay, so in other words, uh, Milwaukee was the exception. Most of the time, local localities' efforts to overturn uh, state bans were the unconstitutional part. That's the part I'm not getting. No, it, it, the the issue is that it's it was that state statutes that prohibited or uh, other prohibited local governments from doing something. Have generally found to be generally in Wisconsin have been found to be yeah, constitutional. Yeah. I mean, I've said uh, on many occasions that the word city, town, or village you won't find in the Constitution, but the word state is in the name of the country, and so states really have sovereignty uh, over localities. Our city, uh, the our county, they can only do business as a municipal corporation. Uh, by sufferance of the state. The state enables cities to do business. Uh, we get our existence from the state, even though 
it's uh, you know as a physical settlement they can't deny that they're a bunch of people living in close quarters but in order to do business uh under state law uh the state has to uh, enable us to exist. And so we are quite at the mercy of, um, I mean, most local governments are at the mercy of uh, the vagaries of state decision-making. Exactly. And, and, and here's the thing, no matter what home rule powers a local government has in their state, the law, those home rule laws enacted by a local government can't contradict state and federal laws. Right. And so even a state with strong home ruled power, home rule powers that are enshrined in the state's constitution, like Florida as an example, Florida is a strong home rule state. Uh, it's the, those powers are enshrined in the local constitution or in the state constitution, but yet even strong home rule states can still pass laws that are called preemption that preempt local governments from doing certain things. So the the plastic bag example is a good one. That's exactly what the Florida legislature did in 2008. Despite strong uh, home rule protections for local governments, the state government still passed statutes that prevented, that preempted local governments from passing bag bans. And that's also what uh, Indiana, although Indiana has a local or a, a weaker tradition of uh, of home rule, it did the, essentially the same thing, preemption, in 2016. And I just want to add, you know, what you just described, Jeff, fits in very well with the overall federal system of government that we have. Federal law preempts state law. It's it, it's it's supreme. It has supremacy. And state law, ultimately, no matter how a uh, government divides itself with respect to Hill home rule or Dylan's rule, the states will ultimately, it sounds like to me, have legal supremacy over the localities when push comes to shove. I don't know if I'm, that may be mischaracterization. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Well, that's right, fine. Kelly. It's just that uh, when state governments complain about uh, states' rights to the federal government, but then they deny local rights to local uh, entities, cities and counties, it gets a little ironic. So from the perspective of this uh, local legislator, I just wish they'd be more consistent. Whoever said that politicians were consistent? <laughs> There's going to be no plastic bag bans around here anytime soon. That we can all agree on. Okay, well, this was a helpful episode today. Um, in closing, I guess I would... Um, caution scooter riders to please observe local traffic laws. Um, I also found that the d discussion on home rule and Dylan's rule was helpful in understanding the place of municipalities within the larger framework of state and federal law in our constitutional system. I was just going to p tell people when they ride their scooters to be safe and to park them correctly. And also when you go to the grocery store, bring your own bag. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, wherever you go and whatever bag you bring, make sure you tune into our next episode. What's the 311 is co-hosted by Jeff McKim, co-hosted and co-produced by Kelly Kuglich and co-hosted and executive produced by me, Stephen Volan. What's the 311 is produced by Platea Media in the first and best city of Bloomington. Not the one with the huge mall, 
Not the one with the huge insurance company. It's the one with all the limestone quarrying and all the bicycle riding in the great state of Indiana. Closing credits music by Eleanor Aurora. For more details on this episode or the show, visit our website, whatsthe311.us. Do I hear a motion for adjournment? So moved. Second. This episode is adjourned.